Hello everybody and welcome to the 134th edition of the Frank and Stan chat and for those watching on video you'll see at the bottom of the screen we have a guest Alan Kinson. Hello Alan. Morning Frank, morning Stan. Morning. Yeah, Thank you so much for joining us. We'll explain how we know Alan and the sort of jobs he does and how it's all linked into education. And he's had a very special week this week, so some very exciting news to share. Uh, so how are you, Stan? Uh, good. Not, obviously not the, the week that Alan's had, but no. uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been a so – uh, for me, it's been a week around uh, trains and transport and things like that, some other work I'm involved in. Uh, with the Northern Powers Partnership, we've heard today, you know, problems on Trans-Pennine trains and also HS2. So that's taken up a bit of my thinking at the moment. So, uh, of course, these affect teachers and children as well, you know, in terms of getting to and from school, all of these delays. So it's something that does affect uh, the choices that uh, older children have in terms of selecting courses at particular colleges which they might have chosen, but they can't get there because the train service is rubbish. But anyway, let's move on. I think HS2 is following the sort of economy airlines bit that we don't actually guarantee to take you to the airport you want or the station that you want. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll take you as near as we think is important. <laughs> yes. I always think I used to, I'm from, uh, I went to school in Southend and I was, uh, we, we used to enjoy watching these sort of uh, tr uh, uh, planes fly into the airport, um, which used to fly to Ostend. Um, and now, of course, Southend used to have uh, a Southend London airport, but it did, re did require you to get on a train and travel for about 55 minutes high speed to get into the centre of London. But it, it was called Southend London Airport. Um, anyway, um, so, Alan, uh, can you just sort of give a little sort of summary of the sorts of things you do and how we know each other and, and how you're involved in education now? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've... Um... Frank and I have known each other now for about not far off ten years, mm. um, and um, yeah, I've I've been um, involved with uh, with schools, both primary schools and secondary schools. Um, coming from um, way back when my children, my grown up children, were uh, were in school, and um, so I'm the proud father of three three grown up children. Um, I became a member of a primary um, governing body, um, chaired that after a period of time. And then I moved over to secondary um, and uh, became a governor at the uh, secondary school. Very, very different. I think it's sometimes where you, know, yeah. you move into either you have experience in one or the other. Uh, but when you move move over, it is a bit of a shock. It is, diff it is different, very different, especially with a large secondary school. Um, and particularly so one that might be in an area with a lot of uh, social challenges as well. You know, sorts of issues yeah. you can be, you know, and I wouldn't say sort of uh, tucked away in a secondary school in quite an affluent area. There are other challenges, but there's a sharp end of life, isn't there, sometimes in these uh, these schools? Absolutely. Absolutely, there is. Um, so in, more recently, um, I am a... A sponsor governor now so i joined um <clears throat> rejoined the co-op um about 11 years ago my background is in technology um and the the role that i do now is uh, it's quite a, a broad role it's looking after the uh, it infrastructure that that powers the co-op whether that be a um you know a store 
whether it be a warehouse depot, a funeral care location, you know, a cremation mortuary. Um, yeah, it's a it is quite a a broad uh, a broad tech role which I enjoy enormously. Um, and and yeah, Frank and I met about ten years ago, um, very very early days um, of the uh, Carp Academy's trust um, and days of forming the Carp Academy's uh, trust. So back at that time, I think we had two, um, th- oh, might have been three, three secondary mm-hmm. academies, four primary academies. Um, and the Carp Academy's Trust is far, far larger um, than, than that today. Um, but I've maintained my involvement. So so Frank and I um, both worked um, over in Leeds for a while. Um, I was chair of governors over, uh, over in Leeds at the Carp Academy there. Um, a, a high school that sits within an area which is, you know, it is pretty much one of the highest areas for uh, any type of local deprivation measure that you wish to take a look at. Um, it is an extremely challenged uh, school and demographic. And it's those schools that I've had most involvement with. I've never been a, a, on the academy, um, uh, on the governing body of a, of a school that, you know, sits in leafy suburbs with, you know, with relative you know, wealth uh, around. Uh, I've never sat on a governing body and, you know, I probably wouldn't because it's not something that yeah. I'm uh, so keen on. But but my interest is um, it is aligned to what we have at Co-op and, and what was there in 1860 when the Co-op was founded on education. Um, and the, you know, the some of the Co-op foundations were, were built on educating um, those Co-op members you know, back in back hundreds of years ago uh, and giving them some simple ways in which they could uh, make things better for themselves mm. um and you know a lot of those values and principles run through you know what we do today uh, as an academy so um yeah so i sat as ch- i sit as chair at the moment at one of our larger primary academies it's co-op academy princeville over in bradford it was a three form of entry it's now a two form of entry um and i really work love working with the with the team yeah. there we've got a fantastic head a superb leadership team um, and the start that we give to you know, our people's education and journey there uh, is, is, is excellent. Really enjoy working with that team. Fabulous. Well, that's a nice start to the day, isn't it? Yeah. Upbeat message there. Thank you for that, Alan. Uh, sometimes yeah, we're not quite so upbeat, but it's, <laughs> it's really good. Uh, Stan, what, what, what's caught your eye this week? Um, just to nicely linked with with uh, being a governor, um, an academy, AET Academy, that are now creating, going back on what they did when they first became an academy trust, which was virtually to remove parents uh, from the uh, the role on local governing bodies, uh, describing them as as the parent equivalent of a playground bully. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the pre under the previous um, yeah. CEO, I think, and now they're looking at creating what they I think they call them councils, not not governing boards, um, but but having on them uh, two parents, up to two employees, a uh, local authority representative, and three community representatives, right. which I think is is really good. The idea is to to 
tie them into the community better and, and have a, a feedback loop from the community. I, I just think they, they're still missing a point in that they, they don't want the this group to have key responsibility for performance. And I just feel as though that, you know, if you're not careful, all you're doing is creating a, a promoted PTA, you know, a, a group of people mm. who who don't actually have a role, don't have any authority, but you can re- you can relate to them and say, oh, yeah, but they, they they do a lot. If you take what Alan was saying, you know, if you had that theory that, that parents don't know enough to become chair of governors, et cetera, then, you know, Alan's a perfect example of, of somebody who, who does and can. Yeah, and I yeah. think, you know, you can't put, the whole group of parents into into a box that says you're actually only interested in your own children's future. You know, some of us have a wider view than that, yeah. and some of us have experience that that can help. I think but it's I interesting. Think it's a that, good move. Yeah, I think it's interesting the way that governance structures and arrangements have shifted. You know, since the multi academy trust world was created, um, in in pre those days, in in, in before that. There was a very clear standard format. You know, the local authority setups were very similar, whereas now there is a sort of greater flexibility around how that works. And and actually, I'm, I'm sort of like I, I still wedded to a particular model, but actually, I, I'm I I should open myself a little bit more to other options that are available. You know, I think one of the things we spoke about before was about the role of the head teacher or the principal, yeah. and whether they should have whether they should be a sort of um a governor you know um whether they should have a vote i suppose is the the issue um and i've always taken i always took i always felt as a head that i i shouldn't be on the governing body i should report to the governing Mm. body and and that would separate our roles to a point where i knew that that my job was was to implement whatever the governor's strategic view was even though clearly a lot of the strategic view is is done by the school and approved by the governors. Yeah, and led by the head. Yeah. Yeah, steered. Well, our head of governor services when I was in Lancashire always used to say, show me a good head and I'll show you a good governing body. Yeah. Um, and the, the, t- the two interrelate. Yeah. So, you know. Well, I, but, I would think yeah, of you that, that good head te- two governors feels a bit better than, than yeah. being part of a governing body. I don't know. A good head teacher, I'll bring Alan in now, but for me, a good head teacher is keen to develop its chair and its governing body and vice versa. Mm. You know, uh, it's not a uh, it's not a one way street. I mean, have you found that, Alan? Yeah, I think um, what I've seen in both in our trust and in other trusts, the the schemes of delegation have changed um, over, I think, over the last the last two to three years, um, the title of the, the you know the governing body of, of lots of schools has changed. So we now use um, Academy Governing Council, um, and the scheme of delegation that we've implemented. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say it necessarily weakens um, the role that the, that the governing body has, um, but it's certainly changed it and. I've always been willing and something with 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 our um with our scheme of delegation um we we worked a long time on this we we collaborated with 
um, you know, the whole trust. And we spent about nine months, you know, mm. actually deciding between ourselves and making sure that we, we, we'd got that scheme of delegation right, that we, we understand where the CEO fits in, where the trust board sits in, where the AGC sits in, their roles and responsibilities. And, you know, what we've implemented at, um, at the co-op seems to be working. But I've also seen the scheme of delegation go way, way too far. Mm. And, you know, the, the governing council is no, no longer responsible for performance. You know, why on earth would we be there if we weren't, you know, seeking <laughs> performance improvement? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think it was interesting. Um, uh, the, one, of the, one of the greatest things I think I, I, I was, well, one of the thing I was particularly proud about was when the, the, the Co-op Academies Trust, we didn't apply to, to, to the National Governors Association regarding outstanding governance. One of the schools, the Stoke Academy did, and, they, and because they were linked into a trust, they couldn't make that application for themselves. So the trust suddenly was in a position where it was being examined in terms of its structures. And I, and I think for me, the, the the lovely thing that came out of that review, um, which was undertaken by the NGA, was that sort of a sense of uh, how the role of the the senior officers, like you, Alan, in in the co-op, that the, the what they were contributing in a broader sense of their understanding of how governance works in the business was leaning on their expectations about how the local governing body or how the trust board should function you know and, and making it feel much more professional um, and a much more challenging environment i think also for the ceo you know i certainly felt that and it was really you know and and those those trusts are not linked in the way that you know you, we have the sponsorship arrangement but for me that that governance side of it is something that i think is 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 a major pillar in in the success of the trust and 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 actually securing its future as well you know um, it, it also acts as a sort of like a safeguard as well. You know, somebody outside of the trust who's actually, in a sense, it's part of, but it's outside of, who's actually looking at the best interests of the entire trust. You know, so I think it's a, it's a, it's you know, it's a, it's in a fortunate position. I always felt fortunate to have the the co-op around me, wrapped around me. So, what's caught your eye this week, Alan? On a similar it's a similar it's as yeah. if it's all planned it's a, a theme yeah, running through this week it is i mean it's a story that i picked up on um earlier on in the week and um i managed to have a look through and uh spoke to a couple of uh, of colleagues uh, about this um but we one of our uh, primary academies um had the opportunity um to visit uh, GCHQ in their offices in Manchester, uh, in Heron House, and um, yeah, the, the day was was quite. We had quite a large number of pupils on the visit, and the, and the idea of the day um, it was it was structured, and uh, we had a series of workshops where where our children um, were doing sort of spy tests um doing all sorts of puzzles and skills um and it was absolutely fantastic that they, they were so well engaged uh, but also coinciding with um yeah, with the visit uh was king charles the third um that that attended um wow. and attended for you know, quite a good chunk of, of one of the workshops and i think 
uh, it was great to see the the engagement and the engagement with pupils uh with with King Charles um you could see that he was um deeply involved and interested in the work in which the the, the young pupils were, were able to demonstrate and show and he was hugely he was hugely impressed with you know the capabilities of of you know, our children at, at that age um that were absolutely flying through some of the you know some of the tasks and they loved they absolutely loved it and i think also that the, the staff also that went over there on the day um you know, to work with the children and work through the workshops and i think they got to appreciate you know some of the sense of the sense of humor um that that, that king charles has and you know i'm no massive royalist but you know the the work that Charles does in these areas, uh, you can only be, you, know, you can only have admiration for. Uh, but the way he uh, engaged with the children um, and had some fantastic um, conversations with with the teachers, where he was replaying back some of the, you know, the the conversations that he'd had with with the children, and and they're in absolute stitches. There's there's a great photograph with. Um, with King Joel, Charles, he's got his you know, head bent over, his hand over his mouth, <laughs> and, and they were they were abs- yeah they were doubled up laughing, you know it was so uh, it was you know really really good and I think you know you know whether it's relevant I don't know but sometimes being part of a larger uh, academy's trust you, you tend to get reach I think and I sometimes yeah. you, you you tend to get those engagement op- opportunities. And those collaboration opportunities that they they come more they come easier um, than than it would do for a smaller uh, academy chain uh, or a, or a local educational authority school. I remember um, uh, Steve Morels, the former CEO of the Co-op, uh, went to a dinner, and um, one of the, there was an auction at the end of the dinner, and uh, he bid um, for a day's visit to the Graphene Centre in oh, Manchester. Yeah. Um, and I remember we took um, students from all of the, what were then, I think, five secondary academies. Um, and uh, we spent the entire day at the Graphene Centre with the Nobel Prize winner um, and his team. And uh, that that whole opportunity came about because of uh, Steve's presence at that event, his willingness to, to, to actually bid uh, for the, the opportunity for the children. Um, and I have to say, uh, I, I suppose in a sense, what it happened, what happened about that visit was that it op- forget the children to some extent, but it opened my eyes as to what the needs of business were, you know, and, yeah. and what the opportunities at the graphene uh, center and, and the way it drew other researchers and other businesses into that corridor at Manchester university, yeah. you know, and how important it is to be located there. And for schools to also be connected in some shape or form with that. So the visit of GCHQ by New Islington pupils is part of that connectivity, isn't it? To ensure that the teachers understand what the future looks like. Because if you say to the vast majority of teachers, what do they do at GCHQ? You know, I think the majority of people would have a fairly vague idea of what it was, you know, um, you know, they need to have a good understanding in order to adapt the curriculum to meet the needs, the growing needs of these jobs that are uh, yeah. that are coming their way. Yeah, they've got a chance to do that. There's a lot to be said, Frank. When when 
certainly when I was, I think I just became a head, I'd done a lot of work as a deputy with working with industry. But a lot of that was not necessarily taking children into workplaces, <clears throat> but taking staff uh, and spending two weeks. I mean, I, I think I spent a week with Ferrantes in, uh, that w- was in Manchester at the time. And I learned so much about yeah. about what they did and and then that the first thing you're doing is is doing something with the children that that links to to that workplace and i i just don't think those opportunities are there now as the, as they were at that point yeah we have so many links with so many different businesses whether it was retail with marks and spencers uh the paper mill at uh Stubbin, you know the, and they were working with us and and they were releasing staff to come and work with children in school as well. Yeah, I think I, I, I had a uh, an exp- I had a week working for Smurfit Corrugated in uh, in Warrington uh, and spent half that week trying to build a sort of system that would uh, locate the uh, pallets that they were losing. <laughs> um and I thought at the time what the hell is all this about? But of course it was really really helpful in terms of de- developing my understanding about systems about the sort of different leadership styles that were being adopted there, and also the pressure that the the, the uh, plant manager was under from head office in terms of delivery, you know, and that was at a time when um, I don't think there was any offsteads going on. I'm pretty certain there weren't. So you know, this idea of a, of a real accountability, you know, bearing down on you, it was something that I still recall. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, the my visit i went to blackpool this week i went to visit a guy called mark who is the new relatively new uh computing lead at blackpool and fire college blackpool and fire college run um one of the first colleges to run a digital t level and i went to see the i went to see the the how this was established about 18 months ago and i was keen to get a better understanding of how it was going and I, it, I have to say it was a very, very positive meeting. And, and, and I was really struck by some of the things that Mark was saying where he's tried to demystify some of the stuff around digital. I mean, Alan, I, I mean, we joked before, but there are some really peculiar job titles, I think, in the world of digital. Um, my son is a, a UX developer, um, you know, uh, and there are, and they use the word sort of like, um, uh, well, they use the word sort of like, uh, people that sort of construct stuff and they're sort of architects when in fact Absolutely. you don't yeah. see them as an architect or you know um so but mark's very keen to sort of demystify that for parents primarily um and to create a program where the children the young people come on to a experience a very broad range of uh, uh opportunities when they first start so that they don't actually in effect pick pick their next stage of the course until they have a better understanding of what the world of digital actually involves because uh, they have programs there which are more down your line you know the the infrastructure stuff and the the, the bits of systems that, that keep the the show on the road and they also have the other wing of it whereas there's the, the the more of the sort of like the development side of it around the the product design and that sort of stuff and uh uh he was finding that children were, were going down one arm and, and really ought to have been in the other arm, you know, and, and he's trying to create that. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is, and the positive bit of it, is that as part of the T-levels, you need to do a very long um, placement with, with a business. And he was telling me that 
50% of the students who have been placed have already have either accepted or are have been offered a job in the business where they've been um, accommodated. And uh, for an area like Blackpool, that is, you know, really fantastic because it means that students could actually just drop, do the first year or the second year of the programme and, and not actually go through to doing the degree. They can pick that up later, but actually they can actually gain a qualification and get a job straight away in a local business. So, you know, it's, it's a very, very positive story. The, the downside to it, if there is one, is all the stuff that's currently going on for work experience, other apprenticeship opportunities. There's a real risk here that these sorts of opportunities could fall to fall away as businesses focus in on these T levels. So it's, it's, it's a positive story, but we need to be mindful that business only has so much bandwidth. And actually, there, we need to accommodate all of these needs in order to ensure that children do have an experience coming through school, which means that they can you know, choose the right um, course or choose the right career. And I think work experience and stuff like that goes a long way to helping bring children on. You know, So I would hate to see all of the other stuff fall away because businesses focus in on the broadening range of T levels that are coming. So I've stopped there. So three minutes of me talking but that's yeah that's really what I, I, I so well done mark at uh blackpool and fire college you know uh it's it sounds and it looks really exciting it's fantastic and just a point on on that frank from what the work that we're doing at, at, at co-op as well we 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 introduced paid intern, internships um you know some time ago uh, and we did that because we were recognizing that um many of our children um found it very difficult to access um, the pathways that would get them into ultimately a a tech arena. Um, and talent was was falling away. We were, we were losing talent because we weren't providing the pathways. Um, there is a massive shortage of talent um, in the tech sector in the in the UK. Uh, there really is. Um, one of one of the things that we see as an employer um, is that when we when we bring you know, applicants in for discussion conversation, those those people that have gone through some form of internship, some form of apprentice mm-hmm. program at the age of eighteen, compared with so that their ability to come into the business to be productive and to add value at eighteen is way, way greater than what you would get traditionally with a graduate coming in at 21. The graduate would come in, they would sit on a graduate program for two or three years um, where they would learn the real stuff. Um, and it's an expense and and it's a lack before we can get talent you know, productive. Um, and we do see that that those 18-year-olds that, that we are bringing in in significant number hit the ground running requiring you know, very little immediate supervision and then just with close you know, collaboration and support, they, they, they absolutely fly. Yeah. yeah, they really fly. Um, it's interesting. I, I was, um, I've mentioned here before that I was really proud to be a host of uh, a visit by Rachel Sylvester from the Times Education Commission when she went to Blackpool. And so we invited a couple of major businesses there and we were talking about the need to be for there to be greater flexibility around the curriculum 
in order to meet the needs of, say, Blackpool, where we have a number of sort of large tech businesses who are struggling to get the staff. And uh, one of the large businesses, I won't name them, but one of the large tech businesses was saying that, you know, if you were to line up the 18-year-olds and the 21-year-olds, the 21-year-olds may come with a 2-1 in computer science. Uh, he said he would he would probably vouch for the 18-year-old to be easier to place within the business. Uh, and he was looking more at their aptitude, their behaviours, their their willingness to learn, their enthusiasm. Whereas actually he was his view was that for some of the 21-year-olds, some of that, it's as if, well, I've got my certificate now, I've got my degree. You know, it's your your job now to find me a place and and, and the, the relationship between the employee and the and the business somehow has been affected by that three years of study at university mm-hmm. and that's you know and it was it was stark really um and i suppose the question for what me interesting though, there frank is all the things that you said that he would judge are all things uh, that we don't report we, or no, judge no. in schools yeah i was going to come back we to just, alan on this yeah we just don't we just don't do that do we we don't measure it we don't say you know this is somebody who's particularly good at communication this is somebody who works well in the team none of that gets reported no no i mean before i bring you in alan there was a another colleague um who runs hr for i think it or did run hr for a very big multinational in the north uh based in the north and she was clear that she, their businesses, their business is interested in the kids that are not tremendously highly qualified, but are, are actually a little bit mouthy, who've got a bit of confidence, who can have a joke with somebody and whatever, and 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 were personable. You know, they were they 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 might not be the most academic, but they were they were young people that people wanted to be with because they were fun and 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 positive. And she was saying that, you know, the, the basis of their sales force, those people have those sorts of interpersonal skills, you know. And so, in effect, obviously, they need to have a, a level of maths and, and, and in English to, to get by. But actually, those are not the prerequisites of it. It's about the character, about the individual. Um, so, I mean, how, how, does, how do you find it, Alan, in terms of security? You're saying that there's a shortage, but what are you looking for? In future employees, I think where where we're focusing at the moment, um, and this this is across you know, all hires in, in in tech, we we've spent an awful amount of time, you know, leaning into how do we attract how do we attract a far broader range um, of potential colleagues um, to join the co-op. Because traditionally, when you start to craft uh, roles, you craft their titles and re- the role and responsibility. If you if you take that away, what you would often see is that, from a diversity and an inclusion perspective, it just is, it isn't hitting the mark. So we're not attracting from a, an entire pool of potentially fantastic colleagues because of the way in which we market ourselves, the way in which we advertise the role, the wording that we use. So tech tends to be male-dominated, mm-hmm. um, you know, in in leadership, in salary. 
Um, we've done a you know superb piece of work um, you know, that that cuts across all recruitment in the co-op now, where we believe that we are authoring um, you know, our roles such that we we're getting some fantastic candidates from a far far broader range uh, of the community. So diversity and inclusion, but what we're also you know in, in the situation whereby you. Know, you you will often have you know, candidates for roles that you know you, you say it's sort of a bit mouthy. The social skills are mm. uh, those social skills are perhaps not as strong in comparison with others. You might say that, that you know that there are some elements or behavioural traits in there, maybe of very light autism or uh, ADHD. When you actually start to work with 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 some that sit around, you know that 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 line, you start to tap into some fantastic, different knowledge, ways of working, and that's what we're looking to do. We we want to make sure that we're going to access to all of those you know, children, uh, potential employees, um, that are different. And and that's what we look at, that's what we look for. I want to see points of difference. I don't want to tick list a twenty one year old of I was captain of the rugby team, um, <laughs> this sort of stuff. Um, I want to know, you know, what what makes these people tick, what makes them different. Um when you start to have those conversations, you start to see capability just start to flow from them. Yeah. And you know, have a you know, Think in a different way, work in a different way, and that's what we want to see. You know, when I bring in leaders into the co-op, I don't want to bring people in, you know, who are imprinted of me. I want to bring the best I can. I want to learn from people, and I want those, you know, those those people that come in, um, you know, to be far better than I, you know, a majority of things. Um, but I think sometimes. The pathways become closed far too quickly for those you know, students that are going to make absolutely phenomenal colleagues potentially working in the tech space. Um, yeah, but we don't attract. We don't attract well enough. No, no. I mean, I, th- I think. Uh, I mean, this is a whole discussion for another program. I think, but you know, because it, it actually gets to the heart of what are we actually teaching and how are we teaching? You know, mm-hmm. and. And and in a way, I uh, you know I I, th- I I my fear is that children are quickly get a feeling that they're not able because they can't jump through some of the the hoops that are set for them, which actually probably have very little bearing on their future lives, but but shouldn't have any bearing on their future lives, but do because they're viewed as very important staging posts you know um and and that means that young people then sort of feel as though that they're not valued quite as much as others you know and so um for me uh, it's it's music to my to my ears actually alan hearing you talk about you know the efforts that are going in here to ensure that there's a broader range of people you know contributing to a a big business like the co-op um and i'm hearing others as i mentioned before about you know the large you know tech business in blackpool you know really wanting to know well, what are these people like you know what can they bring you know uh, it's, it's difficult to change the way schools work 
to be honest, I mean, I, I'm always saying we should do more about the, the social skills, the the individual, the character skills. But actually, I'm not sure how you would do it. Mm. it it's you know, it's very easy to say, well, it's okay. We've got subjects, and we can measure <laughs> subjects, and we can say, you know, seven A's, seven B, what whatever, and that's that, that's relatively easy to do with the way schools are set up to change that to say we're actually going to talk about your character and we're going to do some kind of report to potential employees about who you are and and what Alan said there what makes you tick is far far more difficult isn't it yeah yeah and far more subjective I would imagine Mm. I think though that schools I mean I've I've seen a lot of schools now but there are some schools that actually are more are clearer about how they develop that character element yeah. and, and the actions they take, you know, and the opportunities they give young people to, to lead and to participate and to, to contribute to decisions that are being made. You know, there, there are, there are schools that are quite closed to, to the students, to the pupils. And there are others that we want to know. We want to know how it feels. We, 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 you know, you help us make the experience better. Um, and we have a view, you have a view, and that coming together, I think, is part of how we we guide young people in terms of, you know, the contribution they can make. Um, in fact, I mean, it's interesting. Something Alan said there, though, about about people, other people want to be around and and be with. You know, we should be able to report that. You know, I'm thinking now, children on on outdoor education stuff where you see their character far, far different than you see it in school. And there's somebody you see there who's who's not academic, but everybody on that particular team wants to <clears> listen <throat> to what they want to say, and, and they've clearly got some leadership qualities yeah, amongst yeah. their peers. But then they, they move on, and then that, that understanding that that person has some leadership qualities gets lost because there's yeah. no rec- record of it, there's no passing that on. We, we, we're going to stop it there because actually we, we're getting into the negative bit and we've actually had some really <laughs> positive stuff. So, um, Alan, uh, we finish off each, uh, uh, more recently, we finish off each uh, uh, chat with uh, something that you would perhaps like to contribute or change uh, to make improvement, you know, in the education service generally. So we don't know what you're going to say. So what, what have you got in store for us? Yeah, this is sort of... Um... You're not necessarily wanting to um, to end on on a negative, but um, I think what um, I've been doing some work. I won't mention the the, the particular academy uh, because of the the nature of the conversations that, that I had. But um, I was asked to chair a governor's uh, panel for an exclusion. Um, uh, it was at a primary school, and um, I think what it was a it was a very a very challenging um couple of hours that we spent with parents parents were supremely engaged however the people we we just did not have a setting that was any more safe um for this particular this particular people and you know the the parents and um and the school had literally tried everything to make the partnership work um but it was you know we had to make unfortunately the decision that that 
because from a safety perspective, both for pupils and teachers, um, it wasn't the right setting. Um, and what was in what sort of was interesting beyond that was in in sort of multi academy trusts, you don't tend to spend very much time um, collaborating and having conversations with the local education authority. Um, so I, I, after the after we we sort of finished uh, our, our session, um, I, I asked the the LEA um, lady to 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 stay behind if she could, because uh, I was really keen to have a conversation and understand you know, some of the issues that were that were being faced, and I was absolutely staggered with um, the conversation that that, that we had. Um, as we sit here today. Uh, that this child still has no education provision. And this is at about 150 days after the date of exclusion. Wow. There is no yeah. alternative provision or specialist provision available within the area at all. Um, there were two places um, uh, that could have um, it taken the people. Both were a 100-mile round trip on a coach. And um, yeah, we, we talked through all of the provision that had closed over this past 10 years. And I was absolutely shocked mm. by you know, the conversation that I had. Um, and yeah, the LEA you know, advisor was absolutely mortified you know, to be having, having this conversation and you know, having to explain to parents why there was still no education provision for the child. Um, she desperately wanted to help and support. There wasn't, no, there just was no provision and there still isn't. Um, so, you know, if I could change something immediately, if I had the ability to just, yeah. you know, have the right people sat in the right place and the right number, right at this moment in time, it would be to have local provision for those peoples with needs um, so that those needs can be met and not just drop out of the education system at the age of eight. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's something that you know, worries me greatly. Yeah. It's funny because, uh, again, I can reveal this because um, it is in the public domain, but in, in Blackpool, it's a very small local authority. We, we simply haven't got the resources to set up a range of provisions. So obviously a lot of children have to go out of Blackpool in order to secure that provision. And uh, so in a way, Blackpool is dependent on the provision that's provided primarily by Lancashire, which surrounds mm. it and other areas. But it, it's, it is, when you, when you look at the, the costs that are being incurred for individual children to be housed or located, some of them on a residential basis from mm. Monday through to Friday, you know, and the the impact of that within on the budgets in Blackpool, it's it's uh, and because of being a small authority, you're always vulnerable to that. You know, if you're a larger authority, there's a chance that you've got the you may have the provision within your within your control. Um, and well, Frank, yeah. I did quite a bit of work on this at one point, and what I couldn't convince people was in exactly the thing you're talking about in Blackpool. There, so their costs are very high because the mm. children are going outside then invest in something in Blackpool and yeah. make money from other authorities sending people in to, yes. to, to pay for it. You yeah. know, it, it's not it, it's not 
sort of rocket science to say if we're spending, I mean, we're, I was talking with some children, almost a million pounds a child, the, the cost of the provision they were getting and saying, you know, in a big authority, you should be able to provide all those things. And, you know, if you can, then you can charge other yeah. authorities for children coming in. But they're not entrepreneurial local authorities. No, no. Well, Alan, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, yeah, you're more than welcome. Lovely to see Loved you again. And, uh, um, and, you know, it's, it's yeah, I, 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 it's lovely to, to hear because I'm not connected with the trust anymore, but to hear all this sort of positive stuff that's going on, uh, it's really heartwarming, to be honest, to, to hear it and be connected with it again. Um, and Stan, thank you very much. We, uh, we're back again uh, next week. Uh, I think it's on a slightly different day. Um, yeah, Thursday next week. It yeah. is. We're going to be talking about Latin next week, Stan. So the teaching well, I may, of Latin. I may well be coming from the summer house because I think we're having a carpet fitted that day. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, on these posher podcasts, they don't have those sorts of problems, Stan. But anyway, uh, yeah. So anyway, thank you, everybody, for, for watching and listening. And uh, we'll be back next week, uh, broadcast again. It'll be put up on online on the Friday. So uh, thank you, Alan, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.